Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. should be my neighbor. Here we are again in our series. Just a little tidbit before we get into that, though. Um, we were talking, it's, it's Freedom Sunday, and we've been talking about those who are, are sold to slavery in one form or another, and a few weeks back, we got to have a great conversation with the Hodges, and we, in discussing that, we talked about the fact that, um, you know, some of us don't feel like it's very close to home. Some of us know the statistics and realize that it's right where we are. Um, but just a little bit of information, did you know that the I-40 corridor is one of the main roads to slavery in our country? We're not very far south of that. We're right here in the thick of it. So we really need to be praying for our brothers and sisters who find themselves enslaved for one reason or another. And we need to be praying protection over those who, even right now, are being courted to be enslaved. We are in the midst of our neighbor series. Last Sunday, we talked about um, for your neighborhood. You can see it on the little sign there. Uh, the idea of going beyond the walls of the church, beyond the, even the one-mile radius of the church, right next door, right to where our neighbors live, right? We have those people who live next door to us, whether that's 10 feet or a mile away. They're our neighbors. And the Bible's pretty clear about loving your neighbor. Loving your neighbor is yourself. And so we talked about what it means to love your neighbor, that in order to love our neighbor, we've got to get outside the doors of our house. So I asked you, I gave you a couple challenges. One of the challenges was to talk about with your family, what are those things that you do in your backyard that you can take into the front yard? Okay? 
what are those activities that you guys do? And then the other thing I challenged was know, get to know the names of your neighbor. So we're going to take just a minute right now, turn to the person next to you or behind you or around you, yell it across the room if you need to, and tell them the names of a neighbor that you met this week. And if you didn't meet a neighbor, just tell them the name of a neighbor, okay? So turn to a neighbor, tell them a name of a neighbor. Go. All right, you know what's great about this? Now we're going we're gonna to go through the rest of, our, of the sermon this morning, and now you all have your neighbors on your mind. This is great. Okay, so I challenged, I asked this last Sunday, and I said, think about um, loving your neighbor means even loving the neighbors that are mean, the neighbors who have different political views than we do, the neighbors who are loud, right? Okay, Sundays are long days for Jeremy and I. And at the end of Sundays, when we get home after a youth group about 7.30, 8 o'clock at night, we just want to sit for a little bit, right, and have some quiet. Okay, so last, I don't know if it's just me, but did anybody else's neighbors get louder this week? Because mine did. We got home Sunday night, and we have a little hot tub out on the back porch. And so we got home, and we're like, let's just go sit there for a little bit. So we're sitting there, and he, he comes out, and I'm laughing in the hot tub. And he's like, what in the world? Like, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I'm cracking up because here I am telling the church, go love your neighbors, even your loud ones. And I'm, la- I'm sitting here thinking, man, they're loud tonight. They were louder than they've ever been. There were a couple guys down the way were just cackling about something. But I was cracking me up because here it just fit. So there you have it. All right. Um, John 1, 14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. If Jesus saw fit to move into our neighborhood, then we should be moving into the neighborhood and loving our neighbors like Jesus did. We're going to pick up where we left off um, in the turquoise table. I love it. Last Sunday, somebody's like, what color did they paint the table? Well, the title of the book slightly gives that away, but let's carry on. All right, let's pick up where we left off. Have you ever had the feeling deep in your core, this is it? From the moment I saw the picnic table, I knew. I believed with all my heart that this ordinary outdoor table could be the answer to the restless wondering and worry about how to offer hospitality in a meaningful and simple way. Like a schoolgirl in love, I declared my intention to be a front yard person to the world. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration, but I did share the idea of putting a picnic table in my front yard with my family, friends, and neighbors. Oh, and a random woman in line at the grocery store and on my blog, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and basically anyone else that would listen. It was a magical time, full of hope. My imagination danced with all the possible ways we could gather in, the fr- in a front yard picnic at, a t- at the table. I invited friends and neighbors to weigh in on what color we should paint the table. Creative input came from near and far. But what struck me was how quickly the idea of a front yard picnic table was resonating with people. It was as if people were transported in their minds to a simpler time when running barefoot through the green grass, sipping homemade lemonade from a stand next door, and chatting in the driveway with old Mr. Smith were part of the daily rhythm of life. I couldn't wait to get our table painted and set up out front. In the end, I went with my favorite color, turquoise. My mother, Mia, who had an uncanny knack of picking colors, brought over paint samples, narrowed down to two shades. Both looked fabulous to me, so I picked Nifty Turquoise because I love the name as much as the color. We were ready to go. Then doubt showed up like an unexpected guest, and the what-ifs clogged my mind. What What would people think of the turquoise picnic table in my front yard? Was it too bright, too close to the street, too casual, too weird? Worst of all, I grappled with the underlying fear of rejection. What if no one came? I needed a little reassurance. 
So I called my friend Kimberly. We bounced ideas back and forth, affirming the ways that the, picnic, the turquoise table would solve the biggest obstacles we faced when trying to bring other people together. It's like a baby step between doing nothing and having a big old party, she said. It certainly eliminates the hassle, right? You can't just focus on being present, or you can just focus on being present with friends. Absolutely. You don't have to worry about cleaning the house or making a fancy meal. And you avoid the panic when someone unexpectedly drop by, drops by. Just head outside and leave the laundry on the couch. I could feel my resolve return. You're right. I'm counting on you to keep me accountable, friend. Now, I really had to follow through because Kimberly would follow up. No backing out now. So here she is at, the, at her turquoise table. It's in her front yard, and she's ready to go. And we shared this last week about the table and, and the idea of it hit her of wanting to love her neighbors, and this was a, a practical way that she could do that. So what now? What now? How do we love our neighbor? How do we become for our neighborhoods? One of the things that we have to do to become for our neighborhoods is we have to stop and listen. James 1, 19 through 21 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. <laughs> Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept God's word that it's planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. The beginning part of this passage is what's important for us. I'm quick to listen, slow to speak. In order for us to listen to someone else, we have something important we have to do. We have to be quiet. It's funny, as I, as I worked on this, I said to Jeremy, there are people who are going to swear I am preaching this at them today. But it is not, I'm preaching it to myself as much as to anyone else. It's easy for us to talk, right? It's easy, well, for some of us. Some of us just enjoy being quiet. But there are others of us who, let's be real, it's a struggle to be quiet. Come on, where are my fellow talkers in the room? Where are the ones on the report card, gotta talks too much as a kid? I think every report card I got that. All right, so it's, we have to stop and we have to listen. Christians so often think they must always contribute something when, the, when they're in the company of others. That is one service that they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Last week I talked about sometimes being present is what matters most. I vividly remember a moment when being present was what mattered most, but I learned it the hard way, right? I, in my head, um, I went into a meeting with all the things I could say in mind. I had a good friend who learned at about 20 weeks of pregnancy that when her son was born that he would only live minutes. And I remember sitting with her and talking with her over those months and, and crying with her and thinking about what that meant and how, how I, she just impressed me so much, the way she carried this little boy with grace, knowing that when he was born, he would die. Um, I remember grieving as I watched her heartbreak when Marcus was born, knowing she had minutes with him. Marcus lived for 20 minutes. I messaged her this week. I said, I'm thinking about you and Marcus today. And she just said, thanks for remembering. 
I remember wanting to fix it for her. I remember going to breakfast with her one morning and sitting with her, wishing I had the words to say. But I had none. I didn't know what to say to her. I had not been in her shoes. My heart hurt for her. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to make it better. I wanted to mend her broken heart. But that wasn't my job. My job was just to be her friend. It was just to sit and listen to her that day. And it's to continue to remind her that I remember. I remember what she went through. I remember she said after he passed away, it, it, it had been a few years, she said, I just want people to remember that he lived. It may have been short, it may have only been 20 minutes, but he lived. Front porch conversation is, is disappearing because of tweets, posts, memes, and hashtags. Our listening ear is distracted. How do we listen and what good does it do to listen? Listening builds acceptance with someone. It says, I hear you. It says something like, what you have to tell me is not too much for me to take in. It says, I respect what you're saying and you can trust what I'm saying. Listening requires four things. Listening requires our time. Oh, we talked about this last week. We're just so busy. We're a people who come and go and run and rush and do and go. We have to slow down. Listening requires our attention. It requires our eye, eye contact with someone. It requires putting away our distraction. I, I read somewhere that they talk about a, a basket, and they have a basket at their front door, and when people come through the front door, they encourage them to drop their phone in the basket. They even, um, one person even said, you could put chargers there and let them plug them in while they're in the basket so it's charged and ready to go and you be used when they leave. But what it allows is for the art of presence in the moment. I thought that's a brilliant idea. My kids are like, oh, please no. <laughs> this helps a person know that we hear them and that we care. It requires focus. Now, when I say focus, I don't just mean like just staring at the person. It requires really listening to what they're saying and not thinking of what we're going to say next. Does anyone else do that? Someone's talking and you're, you're thinking of your response. Just listen. It requires being quiet. Try listening without talking or responding. Don't interrupt. Don't retort. Don't defend. Just listen. Back to our turquoise table. It's the story of Ludmilla. Joe said it over and over, or maybe she only said it once, but I heard it over and over. You can't be what you can't see. Her speech ended, the lights went down, and I sat in the dark auditorium alone in the crowd. I eventually clenched my fists and raised them, ducking it out with God while I cried in the dark. Duking it out. <laughs> As loud music played, I pleaded with God. I can't see how to open my life and home to others. I can't see how to build a community. I can't see how to love my neighbors. I can't be what I can't see, so God, show me. 
right there in the middle of the Austin Music Hall, surrounded by 1,200 people, I had a major spiritual meltdown. Then, on the massive screens flanking the stage, a documentary started, a film showing an elder, elderly woman walking down cobblestone streets. She enters a food market. The subtitle says, Ludmilla's Story. As I watched the film, I met Ludmilla, an 84-year-old widow in Prague. She survived two totalitarian regimes and lives in the heart of the most atheistic country in Europe. Yet she placed a small bronze plaque on the outside of her tiny brownstone apartment that reads, Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven. Every day, Ludmilla opens her home to friends and strangers who need to talk. Sometimes she knows the people who come. Sometimes strangers show up, led by word of mouth. She offers them something small, nothing overdone or extravagant, tea and a cookie from a tin, a warm, simple gesture of welcome to her table. In a way that is quiet and genuine, Ludmilla listens and prays, and in doing so communicates that her guests matter. At her table, they belong. Fully present, Ludmilla serves more than just cookies and tea. She offers her heart. God answered my prayer to see how to love my neighbors with the story of a woman halfway around the world who was being the hands and feet of Christ. Her actions were so simple, the antithesis of the frazzled lifestyle I was living. Ludmilla modeled how, to, how simple hospitality could be through her ministry of being present. I could see it. Maybe I could be it. What would it take for me to put a plaque on my door that reads, Embassy of the Kingdom of Heaven? I'm still the same old me, the person who makes things harder than they need to be, planning too much, focused on the outcome, trapped in the minutiae of doing rather than loosening my tight grip on control and resting in the being. Was, but I was beginning to see the vast difference between entertainment and hospitality. I needed a change of heart. Am I fully present? Are my motives for hosting self-serving or genuinely out of care, concern, and love? Am I more concerned with Kristen or with being an ambassador to the kingdom? I really wanted to be like Ludmilla. Actually, I wanted to be a guest at her table. She's a beautiful role model of hospitality. I want to have a simple table spread with abundant love to offer an atmosphere of joy and peace. I just want to go sit at her table. I just want to watch what she does. People who know her and don't know her come from far and wide just to sit at her table. People are hungry for our presence. The last point of being quiet is an important part of life. We have to learn to be quiet when we're alone in order to be quiet when we're trying to listen to someone else. Sometimes we recognize that we need to be quiet when, um, when we're at our limit and we feel like we're going to lose it, right? We get so frustrated and we're like, I just need a few minutes alone. How many parents in here have gotten to that point? You're so frustrated with your day and then you're frustrated with your kids and it's probably not even their fault, but they're on the receiving end of it and you're just at your frazzled end and what do we do? Sometimes we lash out at the ones right there who aren't even the, they're not even the cause of our frustration, Right? I've said this before, we need an adult timeout. Mm -hmm. It's okay for us to take those. We get short and angry with others, and rather than doing that, what if we just take a few minutes and just say, I'm just going to sit and be quiet. 
I have a three-minute challenge for you this week. I have some other challenges in a minute, but three-minute challenge. This week, find time. Find a quiet spot. Some of you, this is going to make you cringe because you don't do this well. Find a quiet spot and spend three minutes with no sound, no reading, no music, no intake of any kind. Just sit and be quiet. I think there are those of you in here who do this well, and I am one of those of us in here who don't. When I sit in quiet in those moments, I have the grocery list go through my head. I have what the kids have that night go through my head. I have a task for the church that goes through my head. I hear creaks and sounds in my house that I've never heard in my life before. I hear, um, I'm wondering what's for dinner. I literally have a whole production going on in my head while I'm sitting there trying to be quiet. It's hard. It's challenging. Did you know that the average person spends two hours and 22 minutes a day on social media? That's a lot of our time. Kind of wasted. I'm on social media, and I will continue to be and try to be a peaceful presence there, but it is a waster of time. It is a waster of moments being present with those who are right in front of us. It's about balance. It's about making sure we take those moments of quiet on our own so that when we're with someone, we know how to be quiet. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens in this way and you will fulfill the law of Christ. In order to carry burdens, we have to be quiet and we have to listen. We have to know what their burdens are to be able to carry them. Jeremy and I are in the process of, of trying to love some neighbors and help them carry a burden. We have to be quiet to learn. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Pray for your neighbors. May our love over overflow for those that are around us. Philippians 4.6, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. If you don't know how to love your neighbors, one of the very best things you can start with is prayer. Take a prayer walk around your neighborhood. God, what neighbor do you need me to love on? God, who do you need me to talk to? God, how can I slow down in my own life to be present for those that are right here? Pray scripture. Grab, grab a book of the Bible and just start praying it. Dear God, teach me how to love my neighbor as I love myself. Dear God, help me to carry the burdens of my neighbors so that I can fulfill the law of Christ. A fixed hour of prayer. I don't know if any of you are still doing it. We have our alarm set for 701, which is 1901. That is our prayer for Treveca every day. We literally stop whatever we're doing. We pick something about Treveca that day, and we pray. And it's funny because we'll be in this circle of people, and, and our alarm goes off, and they're like, what's that? We're like, we just take a minute to pray, pray for Treveca real quick. And we do it. Stop and pray for Trebekah. But in doing that, do the same thing. Take a fixed hour of prayer and stop and pray for your neighbors. You pick the time of day, whatever you want it to be. God, help me to love my neighbors today. The next one is the examine prayer. How did I love a neighbor well today? And then the other question is, where did I miss an opportunity? 
God, show me what opportunities I missed. Who was outside that I could have said hello to, but I missed the opportunity because I was too busy rushing from one thing to the next. Listening helps us to learn, and when we learn, we find out that we have common ground. Back to our story. If only the rain would stop. It had been pouring for a solid week, and our freshly painted turquoise table was still in the garage. Thursday morning, the weather finally cleared. I knew it was the day. I convinced our yard guys to move the turquoise table from the garage to its spot under the magnolia tree in our front yard. It was now or never. I had zero plans for what to do once the t well, I was at the table. I began grabbing things, my computer, a journal, some pens, my phone, the most essential, a mug of coffee. I went outside and sat at the new table, faced the street, and opened my laptop. I was far enough from the house that the Wi-Fi didn't connect, so I really was unplugged at the table. I felt the tension of needing to fill the space around me to drown out the naysayers in my head. This table's too bright, the street's too close. And it was all so foreign, the quiet alone time, sitting outside in the front yard, the agendaless waiting. I began to doodle away the thought or the doubts in my journal. It, wouldn't, it couldn't have been more than 15 minutes before I noticed a woman out for a walk headed my way. I'd never seen her before in the neighborhood. As she got a little closer, I could see that she was holding something. It appeared to be a flyer, nothing more than a piece of junk mail. When she got within earshot, she slowed down. I looked up and smiled, hiding the awkward split second before someone spoke first. I noticed your bright table, she said. I like it. And the red flowers are pretty. It reminds me of my fifth grade elementary school photo. I wore a red turtleneck and a turquoise sweater. The turquoise was working. We struck up a friendly conversation. She stood with one foot on the street and one foot on the curb, almost within arm's reach. She said she was delivering a piece of junk mail that landed in her mailbox by mistake. Now, I don't know about you, but she's a better person than I am because I would not have taken the time to deliver a piece of junk mail to a neighbor I didn't know. Then she confided, what I really needed was to get out of the house for a bit of fresh air. We went on to chat about the normal everyday things. We traded notes on lawn services, and she said that her family was doing minor renovations and asked if I could recommend a handyman. For 30 minutes, our conversation flowed. Despite all my worries, fears, and hesitations, on the very first day at the table, I had met a complete stranger who lives four doors down from me. Susan went on to deliver a flyer to its proper address, then back home. And I sat in awe of the realization that an ordinary picnic table painted turquoise and a throwaway piece of junk mail had brought us together. Could it really be that simple? As someone who struggles with wanting things to be perfect, I fell into the trap of making things harder than necessary. If this first experience at the table was any indication of the freedom from analysis paralysis, all of that overthinking, overplanning, overdoing things, when I ended up doing nothing, I couldn't wait to do it again. Maybe meeting Susan was a fluke, but it sure felt like affirmation to me. I couldn't wait to call Kimberly. I did it! I sat at the table and I met a neighbor. Of course you did, she said, much more confident than I was. I didn't do anything but show up. When Susan walked by, it was surreal, almost like out of a movie. Be careful what you wish for, Kimberly said. What do you mean? I wasn't processing the morning clearly yet. Looks like your obsession with Ludmilla is turning into a reality. The turquoise table is your answered prayer. That's the beauty of friends. Kimberly was already two steps ahead of me, seeing clearly what was still blurry to me. Ludmilla had painted a picture of how simple hospitality could be. Taking it out to the picnic table simplified it even more. What if the answer was just to show up? 
I certainly didn't resolve world peace or master the art of hospitality, but I did meet Susan, and that was a start. Will another neighbor show up next time I sit at the turquoise table? I had no way of knowing, but I was excited to head out there and await the possibilities. If I could meet one neighbor, why couldn't I meet them all? So show up. We did. That very week, the kids and I started doing normal activities like homework outside. I didn't make a big deal of it, but when the opportunity to sit outside the turquoise table made sense, we took it. One afternoon, a woman driving by stopped, rolled down her car window, and asked about the flowers I'd put in the old tin pitcher on the table. She asked if they were fake flowers. Indeed, they were. Fake as fake can be, straight from the craft store. Even though we live near the center of town, our neighborhood has a huge population of deer roaming free. Real flowers could have been chomped up by our woodland creatures in no time. I never officially met this woman, but she said she was off to buy some faux flowers to brighten up a table on her own front porch. Other days, we've waved at people walking by with their dogs, striking, striking up friendly chatter with people who were beginning to look familiar. With simple interactions, we were establishing presence. The kids decided to put candy out in a basket with a cute handmade sign that says, please enjoy. We ate casual suppers at the turquoise table and enjoyed the nods and smiles of curious passerbys. Best of all, technology stayed inside in an eye basket. A place, the table was a place to unplug and connect. The table had become a regular part of our routine. I began to make a mental note of practice, practical items I could set aside to keep life easy when I wanted to head out to the table. I found an extra basket and began filling it with things I already had on hand. I put in a deck of cards, some coloring books for the kids. I kept a basket full of items on the shelf in the laundry room so everyone knows these are special items just for the table. In anticipation of someone dropping by, I added an unopened can of nuts from the pantry, cute napkins I had stuffed in the drawer waiting for the perfect occasion, and a box of my favorite tea. That way, I was prepared to welcome guests without going overboard. How easy was that? She makes it sound so simple, right? But maybe it is. Maybe loving our neighbor, maybe carrying each other's burdens is as simple as sitting in our front yard and noticing who's around us. We have some challenges for you this week. One, take the outdoor activities you and your family came up with last week and move it to the front yard. Now it's time to do it. Go play a game, eat dinner, draw, do your homework, sit and talk in the front yard. Next, this one's going to seem weird to some of you. Borrow something from a neighbor. Crazy, right? Instead of running to the store, use it as an opportunity to break the ice with a neighbor. Remember to offer your help if they ever need it. We've started, do <laughs> we do this, mostly because it's last minute and I've already started mixing a recipe and I'm like, I have no eggs. Rylan, can you run over to Kayla and ask her to borrow an egg? And we laugh because now she'll run over sometimes and go, can I borrow the tape measure? Or we'll, it's, and it now goes back and forth between neighbors. A, a neighbor just came back the other day and, and brought the spreader back to Jeremy. But people go back and forth because what do we do? We share and share alike with our neighbors. Share with your neighbors. What do you have? What can you share? And the last one is this. And we actually, the cards aren't here today, so we're going to give these to you next week. But this doesn't mean you have to wait till next week to do it. But we want you to invite a neighbor to come to Candyland. Bring their kids. They get to drive through. The kids won't even get out of the car. They can wear their costumes if they want, but they're going to drive through and be able to get candy. 
and then they can go on their way. It's a safe alternative for people who are like, we just don't want to go trick-or-treating this year. Let them come through Candyland and be a part of what's happening. We've got teens that are going to dress up. We've got people decorating cars. We're going to be here. And if you want, we want you to come and be a part of that too. It's a great way to love our community. Invite a neighbor. We're going to email you something. It's a little, um, it's the, the logo for Candyland that we have. And what we're going to do with that, and uh, we encourage you, how many of you in here know you have a neighborhood Facebook page? Raise your hand. There's a few of you. Take that logo and put it on your neighborhood Facebook page and put something in there. Hey, bring your kids out. We can't wait to have them for Candyland. Practical ways to love our neighbors. I said this last week. Some of you are going to be like, this stuff is more common sense than it is scriptural. But I've said the same thing. Sometimes we scriptural people forget common sense when we're sharing the gospel. And we need a little bit of both. So friends, let's talk. Let's practice this week. Let's practice being quiet and listening to our neighbors.